And there's some of you that probably think we're just beating a dead horse. Okay? Um, and I know that a lot of what we're going to talk about tonight's repetitious. I understand that. Um, my desire, my belief, is that I want to do everything I can do for you all to have all of the, the biblical framework, the practical things about deacons and deacon ministry as we undertake this. Going forward, I hope we've got a good foundation of knowledge and we don't uh, have to go this heavy every time we go to select deacons. We'll obviously talk about it again when the time comes to select deacons and what that means, but uh, um, I, don't, I just want to make sure that everybody's got what they need um, to prayerfully, biblically make a, a godly decision. And so I'm going to ask you to join me in this text in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 8, and we'll go forward from there. There the Bible says, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife ruling their children in their own house well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and a great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. We've said all along this truth. Deacons are a crucial part of the church body. Serving alongside pastors, serving the people of the church. We talked. We talked about last week, and uh, we, we've talked about before the calling of deacons in Acts and why the deacons were called. And so we've talked about that. But here we have these clear qualifications for those who would be deacons. And I think it's important to note how the Apostle Paul begins this description of these qualifications. He begins by saying they must be reverent. They must be reverent. Well. When we think about reverence, we, all also, we, we usually think about our attitude towards God, that we hold God in high regard, that we look at God as high and lifted up. We understand that He's God over all things. But reverence uh, in this case is not just, I think, limited to a man's uh, view of God, but also his, uh, his conduct in the world. He has a sense of dignity. He operates in the world with dignity and with respect in their conduct, in his conduct. And so, the, to, for one to have reverence, well, for a man to be reverent, it means that their behavior should reflect the holiness and seriousness of the service that the deacons are called to give to the body of Christ. And so, to be reverent. That's the first place. It's where Paul begins. And I think it's because that um, there are many times in which there are, there are those who are, um, have, have a lot of good things where we think they might fit well in a certain place of service, whether we're talking about deacons or otherwise. But perhaps they may have an attitude, that uh, a, a disposition that is uh, just not serious. Uh, you've been around those people. I've been around those people who they're, they're good folks. They, they they may even love the Lord, but they have no um, they don't know when to be serious about things. 
to be serious about serious things. Everything's a joke. Everything's a cut-up. There is a time for reverence and dignity. I'm not saying you can't have a good time. I cut up uh, probably more than most people do. But there's a time to be serious about the things that God calls us to be serious about. And so the begins with reverence. He goes on to say that deacons should not be double-tongued. This is uh, something that we would talk about in our context that we probably in our day and time we would use probably the phrase two-faced, right? That double-tongued is simply the idea that they are truthful and consistent in their speech. I'm not over here talking about an issue and I'm telling Brother John something because I, I know what Brother John thinks about this issue and I'm kind of telling him, yeah, that's where I'm at, that's what I think and that's what I'm going to do. And then I come over here and I talk to Brother Allen 30 minutes later and he's got a different idea, a different thought and a different opinion and I tell him, you know what, I think you're right, I'm on, I'm on your side of this thing and, and, uh, and, and I'm telling him something completely different than what I told someone else. We're being truthful, they're being truthful, they're being consistent in their speech. They're not known to be liars. And, and even beyond that, we know that, that people, that's, Christians in general, particularly those in places of service, shouldn't be liars. But more than that, they should be careful with their words. Words have an impact. I've often said that whoever it was that came up with the rhyme, sticks and stones may break, break my bones, but words will never hurt me. They, never didn't, they didn't go to middle school, did they? Right? Words are tough. I've, I remember uh, uh, way more clearly. All right, I, if you understand about me, I, I've done enough stupid things. I've had people physically hurt me before, okay? It's happened. But I have way less uh, uh, deep-seated memories of that than I do about some of the hurtful and wicked things people have said to me at times. Words have power to hurt or to build up. And so a deacon should be exemplary in this and that he's speaking truthful, he's speaking consistently, but he's also speaking carefully. He's not being flippant. He's not hurting unnecessarily. And he's speaking the truth in love when necessary. And so a deacon should be reverent. He should not be double-tongued. He's not given to much wine. Uh, this is uh, a picture of self-control. Usually the, the uh, admonition to be sober-minded or to be sober uh, in the Bible relates, yes, to alcohol, but it also relates to um, just overindulgence in general. That they should be people who practice self control and here particularly concerning alcohol they should avoid drunkenness they should avoid overindulgence why because overindulgence and drunkenness puts you in a position of moral compromise in in many times and so we should never allow our overindulgences in alcohol and anything else to get us into a position where we're going to uh, step outside of the moral framework that we claim to believe and practice and so uh, again, the here specifically, it's aimed at alcohol. They don't need to be drunkards. This isn't to say, now guys, I know we're Baptists, and I've been as hard line on alcohol in certain situations as anybody, but you'll never hear me stand in this pulpit and say that every time somebody takes a drink of alcohol that they're sinning because that's not a biblical way to understand that issue. It's just not the truth. 
I'm, I, I'm a teetotaler. I don't, I don't drink, and, that, it, and that's where I'm at on that issue personally uh, before my conscience and my life and my experience, and that's what we talked about this morning, right? Putting up fences where God doesn't put up fences, okay? But 100% of the time, drunkenness is a sin. And what most people in America consider drunkenness is way past the mark of what I believe the Bible would consider drunkenness. And so we've got to make sure that we're not looking to those who are uh, giving themselves over to overindulgence in alcohol or in really in any manner of things. They're not men who go to the excess. They have self-control. The text here goes on to say that they're not greedy for money. One commentator just said it boils down to this, this, this uh, particular qualification. Deacons should have a, uh, a clean financial record when it comes to being honest and forthright with money. Right? They shouldn't be those who are pursuing wealth through dishonest and unethical means. And I talked about this the last time we went through some of this. They shouldn't be uh, trying to use their position within the body of the church as a deacon or as anything else uh, in order to secure business contacts or to gain financially. We don't live in that kind of system. You know, we think about that and you say, well, uh, um, I've I've read a book recently about um, um, uh, President Ulysses S. Grant, and they were talking about how in the early... um, early times in the United States, it was, it was very, very common for politicians to, um, with nobody blinking an eye, be given all these gifts, and they were given houses, and they were given all this, and, and eventually that tide started to turn, and people started to think that wasn't right, and so now they just do it in crooked ways, and they don't tell people about it, right? And, and they use their position to enrich themselves. And then when we find out about that, it infuriates us. Why? Because the, the, those in the political realm are there to serve us, and all they're doing is using the position that they've been given in order to enrich themselves or those that they know. It's the same idea here, that someone who would be in the position of a deacon, they're not one who um, are dishonest financially, but they're not one who... Uh, would seek to utilize their position for some sort of gain. The Bible goes on to say that they are to be those holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. I love that phrase. Um, What does that mean, though? That they're holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. It just, I think it really just means this, that Deacons should possess a deep understanding of the Christian faith. They shouldn't be brand new Christians that are just waiting in. They shouldn't be those that uh, are uh, what the Bible calls elsewhere novices. They should be those who have been uh, serving faithfully the Lord for a period of time. I'm not saying they've got to be 20 years down the road, uh, anything like that. I'm not saying they've got to, you know, hold advanced theological degrees, but they should have a good grasp of the foundations of the faith. They should have a hold on the knowledge of the Scriptures. Not only that, when we talk about holding the mystery of faith with a clear conscience, that idea of clear conscience brings in uh, not just uh, our uh, holding on to a, a mental material, but also that clear conscience that I'm, I'm using, that I'm understanding and I'm acting upon it. I have a clear conscience before the knowledge that I have. I have knowledge of God's Word, and I'm living in light of that knowledge. 
That's what it means, I believe, to hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Deacons need to be those who are faithful Christians who have a good grasp of the truth of the Word of God. I'm going to tell you this, and you'll think I'm crazy, but it's true. I've known churches, I've known places where people, men have been elevated to the position of deacon, and they couldn't, they couldn't tell you the difference between the Old and the New Testament. And that's, that sounds crazy, but it's so close to the reality. That kind of thing has happened because it's become a popularity contest. It's become a, oh, you know what? The deacons, they kind of play in this area. And so uh, if, if our deacons help us with some of our financial stuff, well, uh, that guy works for the bank or that guy does this or um, some churches deacons help with some of the facilities. Well, that guy's really good at that, so he needs to be a deacon. Well, no, he, he, first of all, he needs to be a qualified man who loves the Lord. These are the basic foundations. Yeah, they're going to serve in different ways and in ways that make sense for our church and make sense for the men who God puts in that position. They're going to serve the needs of the people of the church. But we don't elevate people because of uh, some sort of worldly qualification. The qualifications that matter are those that God gives us. And so they hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. A pure conscience. Verse 10 tells us that these men need to be tested. But also, but let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons. They need to be those proven blameless. Right? Those that are men who have lived, again, faithfully for a period of time. Again, talking about not being a novice. But it also says that they need to be tested. I don't think that's just about observation. I think that's what we're talking about with something like the process that we've approved for undertaking to elect deacons. These men need to be questioned. They need to, we need to find out where they are and what they believe about certain things. They need to be tried on uh, whether or not they have some level of a biblical knowledge of the foundations of the faith and what it means to serve in the role that they've that they're being called towards. And so they need to be tested. They need to be examined. And their character should be beyond reproach. And then the Bible speaks also to the wives, and a lot of people like to skip that. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderous, temperate, faithful in all things. This does call us to consider the wives of those who would serve. All right? And in fact, uh, one of the questions that are on the questionnaire that I'll give to those who are nominated basically says something like this. Is your wife on, uh, willing and on board with you serving in this role? And does she understand that um, she's called to a standard to, to serve as well alongside you in some sense? Right? Uh, because it's here. A deacon can be faithful, but if his wife is undoing everything, in, in another way that he's seeking to do and to serve and to help in the body of the church, it shouldn't be, that man should not be elevated at that point. The Bible also says that the man should be the husbands of one wife. And this is where everybody gets questioned, right? It's where all the questions come from. And so I'm going to spend a little bit of time on that. I've talked about this a lot, I think. 
to start with, the, the scriptural basis is the husband of one wife is really found really in two places. It's found here in 1 Timothy, Timothy and it's found over in Titus 1.6. And, and it's important that we recognize that because so, I'm going to read that over there. Titus 1.6. I'm actually going to go back to verse 5. It says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. Here, in the context of Titus, talking about elders or pastors, that same phrase is used. The husband of one wife. That's the only other place that it's used. Why do I point that out? Well, I point it out because if the same phrase is used for the qualification in Titus concerning elders or pastors as is used here concerning deacons, then wherever you feel like you have understood, whatever you feel like that you have understood this qualification to mean for deacons as it relates to the issue of marriage, the issues of divorce, and all of those things, you have to hold the same standard for deacons that you do for pastors in this particular area. That's what it tells us. If husband of one wife means one thing for the deacons and it means a different thing for pastors, then we're not being consistent with our biblical understanding, our biblical interpretation. And so we've got to be very careful if a man is a disqual, if you would say, as you uh, think about this, or if you're a man who's nominated and you've been thinking about whether or not this is something that comes into play for your qualification, one of the questions that you could ask yourself is, if there was a man who was being brought forward to be a pastor of our church, and this was his history as it concerns marriage, it's the same as mine, would I feel like that man would be disqualified for serving as a pastor? If the answer is yes, then your interpretation of that should be applied to the same, applied in the same way to the role of deacons in the church. I've explained to you what I believe about this. I believe that, that divorce uh, is not something that completely or immediately disqualifies a man, but I think that it's, there are exceptions, but they're narrow exceptions, including those that uh, were perhaps divorced before they were ever Christians, including those that have gone through what we would call a biblical divorce, all right? I think those are ones that we need to examine, all right? But we can't have one standard for pastors and one standard for elders when the qualification listed is the exact same one. And so I hope that helps bring it into view. That's not something I've said surrounding this issue uh, in, in the last few times we've taught about this. And so perhaps it helps you to um, think about it in a little bit different way. But just to, to dive into it a little bit, the, the meaning of the husband of one wife, obviously it means that they're faithful in marriage. They're expected to be committed. Deacons are expected to be committed and faithful in their marriage relationship. They shouldn't have a history right, of marital, uh, of, uh, marital unfaithfulness. It shouldn't be one that we would uh, say, well, that's somebody who has a pattern of that kind of behavior. And although this isn't a particularly, you know, present issue in our day, it was in their day, they should, be, they should not be bigamists or polygamists. 
And I've never understood that. Every once in a while you run across these stories of these men, and I'm not just talking about the Mormons, but these men that like travel for work and they've got one family in this state and one family in this state. And you think, my goodness, I barely get through trying to take care of my family I got in one spot, right? I mean, I could be mean and say, who wants more than one woman they got to put up with, right? Y'all aren't, y'all aren't laughing. See, my jokes never work. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the support. <laughs> but we've got to understand that those that would be elevated to this position, they should have the reputation of being faithful in their marriage. The idea of commitment is important. The idea of unity is important. A deacon's marriage should be harmonious. It should reflect the unity that Christ desires for his church. Because Marriage in general, the reason that marriage comes up so often in this, in this particular discussion and it comes up in other discussions is because the purpose of marriage is to be a reflection of the relationship of Christ and His church. Every single marriage is supposed to be an object lesson pointing us to how the people of God are in relationship to Jesus. And so that's why it's so important that particularly those who are in a position of service, uh, of leadership, that their marriages reflect that ideal, uh, obviously imperfectly because we're imperfect. And, and obviously I've spoken my exceptions to, to where I think that there's something to talk about there, but it pictures Christ in His church. And if we're going to serve Christ in His church, then our marriage should, with, should hold to that picture. This qualification has to be understood rightly. If a deacon's been divorced, if, if a man who's being nominated or to be a deacon's been divorced in the past, I would simply say this. The circumstances of the divorce have to be carefully considered. If the divorce was biblically justified due to adultery or abandonment, uh, if there's a, another situation, it may not disqualify them from serving as a deacon. It may not. But it's something we're going to have to be willing to look at and discuss. The Bible says that they should also, and this is another thing we don't forget, ruling their children in their own house well. What does that mean? Well, it means that they care for their family. It means that they seek to instill godly, uh, a, a godly framework for their house. What I don't think this means, that some people think it means, is that if you've ever had a kid that did something bad, that that means you can't be a deacon. Because if that's the measure, then I've got to resign tonight. And every other pastor that's ever had kids has got to resign tonight. And every deacon that's ever served has got to resign tonight. Now, I know there's some extreme cases. And yes, I do believe there is a place in which the household of a man uh, and, and, the, uh, and the conduct of their, of their family, just like the wives are held to a standard, does reflect upon the leadership of the man in his own home. It boils down to this. A man, if he's not leading his own home well, he shouldn't be elevated to a position of leadership in the church. That doesn't mean, again, if there's some, some situation that happens. I don't think it's about the situation. I think it's about how the situation's dealt with. If a man has a child that's going into some sort of terrible sin, if the man is brokenhearted about it and he's seeking to call his child back to repentance and he's behaving towards them in a godly way, he's, he's chastising, disciplining, correcting in that situation, I think that's to be commended and supported. 
There may be a situation where something gets so extreme that they feel like, I, I don't feel like I should uh, be in this position because of something extreme. But it's not. I, I've been in those places too. Well, you know, their kid used to do this and that, or their kids had this kind of trouble. I, think, I don't think that's the nature of this qualification. I think it's about how they are leading their household, how they're dealing with the situations of life within a family that we all come. Are they handling those? Are they responding in a godly way? Are they burying their head in the sand? Are they excusing sinful behavior? That's a different conversation. But if they're seeking to love and serve and correct, I think they're within the, the bounds of this qualification. So... The final really piece of this is after I've unloaded all of this like hardline, scary stuff about the qualifications of deacons, right, because this is it's serious business. It's serious business for the church. It's serious business for the men who will step into that role whenever we come to it. But there's also the reward, and I think we've got to talk about that. It says, for those who have served well as deacons, obtain themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. There are blessings before God for serving faithfully in whatever position you're in and whatever calling you've been called to. But here we specifically are told that deacons that serve well, that they will be blessed by God for their faithful service to His church. And so if you're someone who, you're a man who's, who's nominated for this, you're praying about it, you're thinking about it, and you, like, you think, well, that's a high standard. Well, you're right, but there's also a great blessing in Christ for serving Him. And uh, He says you're, you're going to obtain a, great, a good standing and great boldness. It's going to strengthen you. It's going to challenge you. Whenever I became a pastor, one of the hardest things to do was as I began to uh, study and to preach, and all of a sudden I realized, like, oh, my gosh, I'm fixing to tell these people they need to uh, look at this and, and think about how they're living in light of this passage, and i got to do the same thing. It challenges me every time I look at the Scriptures. When I go and serve someone, or I'll tell you, when I undertook the task of uh, biblical counseling several years ago, you want to talk about hard you start counseling somebody and you sit there and you realize, like, I do the same thing. It grows you. Then you got to go repent. You know how many times I sent somebody out of, the, out of my office from counseling and I closed the door and just, like, sat down in my chair and laid my head flat on my desk and said, God, I didn't even know I was that wicked in this area of my life until I was confronted with it. Serving as a deacon is the same thing. It's going to stretch you. It's going to grow you. But it's also going to be a great blessing to you to be able to serve God's people. And God's going to bless you for that as well. And so, these are the qualifications that God gives for those who would hold the office of deacon. And I would encourage you that if you are led into this position, that you can continually strive for personal growth, for spiritual maturity. And you, as, as I'm tasked to do, that you would find a deeper and deeper love for the people of God as you seek to serve them. Deacons play a vital role in the church's ministry. I said that when I started. And they should strive to meet these qualifications as they serve and lead by example in the congregation. As we as people of God, as best as we can, we need to prayerfully think about all of these things as we seek to nominate men for this role, and the men who are nominated for this role 
you need to think carefully about these qualifications prayerfully before God as you think about whether or not you want to go on in this process. And so that's what I have tonight. It's, it's, uh, we've got probably just a little bit of time from when we normally get out. Are there any questions we've got tonight? And Ms. Pam, you can cut this part off if you want to. But uh, are there any other questions we've got tonight? Yes, sir.